you come to a tavern in the night. The smell of cheap booze and shitty plot hooks hangs thick in the air. And the sign above the bar reads Moose Mike, everybody. Hello, welcome to today's episode. I'm a nerd. I'm a big giant nerd. I love me some tabletop RPGs. So I suckered these guys into talking about it because that's what we do here on Moose Mike. That, that we suckered each, each other to talk about things. Yeah. No, that intro about like, I'm a nerd sound like anonymous alcoholics kind of thing, you know? Like, I was going to say, I'm, I'm a nerd. I, have, I've, I haven't rolled dice in 20 hours and I really need a fix. I have a serious problem with uh, RPG books. Yeah, I, I was gonna say like I never saw Moose Mike like this, but it's very correct. It's just honestly a very elaborate rat trap where we bring each other stuff to rant about the things you want to rant about. Yeah. Well, yeah, because we have had it like I I brought you guys into the interview of wrestling. Now this is the tabletop thing. Eventually, Arthur is going to convince us about talking about shitty destiny. So one day, one, one day, day, one day, hey, will man. Happen. hey man, my birthday's coming up. Maybe we can record that on my birthday. You know, the, the destiny special oh. destiny episode. We can talk about these guys over here, primal, <laughs> primal. Oh no, oh no, again, perfect. So, why don't you guys introduce yourselves for the lovelies? I'm uh, today, as you can tell, I'm, I'm hosting, I'm Stafford. Um, and then we've got uh, my co hosts here. I'm Arthur, I'm a destiny addict. And I got dragon talk about tabletop RPGs. Um, I'm um the wizard Rodrigo. Uh, talking about wizard um. the tabletop magic sure, thingy. Sure, sure, sure. Yes. Yeah. <clears throat> Great. You you can see that I have a lot of experience in role playing. Yeah, yeah. Well, and there we go. Perfect, perfect segue. Thank you very much, Rodrigo. Um. <laughs> So uh, I'm assuming some of our some of our audience here is probably wondering, you know, what the hell is a tabletop? How how does one do a tabletop? Um, and a couple of I'm sure members of our audience are very familiar. So just as kind of like a brief um, description, just so everybody's on the same page here, we're talking about tabletop RPGs and their influence on other media today and vice versa because it's kind of gone back and forth in recent years. That's uh, how we get to talk about whatever we want on this podcast. We just put it and influence in the media at the end of it. <laughs> and go. that's how we just, we just really, we give you this, like, there's, that's a cool thing about media. There's nothing in existence that has an influenced media right. in some way, shape or form. So by definition, we have a legal loophole to talk about whatever the fuck we want here. Hey guys, and today we're talking about roasted chicken and it's influence on media. There you go. There you go. Lots of writers oh. ate roasted chicken while they were writing that film. You know. Well, there is that, the, 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 the very famous internet company, Rooster Teeth, that we can talk about. There you go. We can have an episode of Rooster Chicken. <laughs> oh, my goodness. It's a legal, it's a legal loophole, y'all. We yeah, found do, it. do what you love, and you'll never work a day in your life, right? <clears throat> Uh, but yeah, so tabletop RPGs are, are, you know, you've seen them in shows, you've seen them in movies, it's those greasy nerds sitting around a table playing with dice. Um, and yeah, I, I say as a greasy nerd. Um, and, and really what it's all about is, is this collaborative storytelling, right? You create a character, one person is assigned to, uh, well, in most systems, I should say, one person is sort of assigned to be the like lead storyteller in a sense, and they present situations for your characters as the rest of the players to sort of work your way through, um, usually involving either fighting monsters or uh, solving mysteries, uh, talking with other fantastical people or creatures. Um, and, it, and it takes you on all sorts of wild adventures, be it sci-fi, be it 
um, you know, modern horror, be it uh, fantasy with, with dragons and wizards, et cetera, et cetera. Yes, be it Shitstiny with its many <laughs> things. Um, but yeah, so why don't, uh, obviously I've got a huge uh, nerd boner for, for all things tabletop, but why don't, uh, why don't Arthur, you start us off. Tell us a little bit about your experience with tabletop. So my personal experience with tabletop is more of a recent one, I think, than compared to yours. I got into tabletop in the past four years or so. Like I, I, I dabbled back in the day when I was younger, but I got into like seriously in the past four years with a, a group of friends. I, differently than you, from our conversations, I play mostly through Roll20 and online. For me, Roll20 is God's gift to men. It makes tabletop so much faster, so much more interesting, so much more efficient. Takes all the number crunching away. That's the thing I hate about tabletop games. It's just all the number crunching. Hate that. Mm -hmm. Don't do that to me. But anyway, what I do love about tabletop is that tabletop for me is, it does a lot, right? Especially if you're talking about the, the world of tabletop RPGs. It, it It's a place of in improving your social abilities, of playing around with performance, with exploring parts of yourself that you don't know. Because the reality is, is that, and there's, there's something not a lot of people know, but we as humans, and I have no scientific backing for this. I, someone told me and I believe them, and that's all my, my data on this. So call me out if I'm wrong, if you know. Hardcore but facts. from, from what I know, from the hardcore facts that I know, from the science that I know by researching nothing, is that we as humans, we have a limited number of characters we can make, right? Of mm -hmm. personalities we can perform. Every character we perform at the end of the day is one of our personas, be it a bigger part of a personality, a smallest part of a personality, or the opposite of what we think our personality is, right? It's well, always on the umbrella of it's a part of you. So it's also a great way of exploring yourself and your inner thoughts and who you are, while also making friends learning how to socialize because a lot of people have trouble socializing on their own. But when they're playing an elixir vandal roaming around the the, the scraps of old Russia, they might find it easier to talk with someone and develop social skills. And also it's a blast. It's fun. Like if you, like we are all here, filmmakers are all here work with, we're all art people. So I guess that means that all of us are very creative. And if you have creativity or you want to develop a creativity, tabletop RPGs are great for that. Yeah. Well, in, in fact, what you just said, like the, and, and it's not because you're, you're, we're probably going to say it's like a plugin for something that we're doing, but it's not, I, I swear this time. Uh, I remember one of the interviews that we're doing for one of our short films, The Crimson Flower. The, one of the main actors actually said something along those lines that, that you're saying that, uh, because kind of like the question was like, how much of you can we see in the character of, of this, you know? Uh, and he was saying like, well, in fact, like you can see a lot of me and you can see a lot of me, like not only in this role, you can see a lot of me in this role that I have done in the past and in this role and, th and this, this and that, you know, like most of his career, you know, because it's what you're saying is like, whatever happens, like I'm pouring myself into a character. So either through my imagination, through my process or through something like me as a person are going to be carried on to the character either I like it or either not, because that's just within it, you know, like just within the nature of us and playing the character. So I find it really interesting about it. Yeah. 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 Well, and both of you guys have uh, done more research than the average uh, Facebook Karen. So you must be right. <laughs> 
you know, that must be how it works. <laughs> I think. Of course. Yeah. Look, a, 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 a psych enthusiast, let me know, student, a psych enthusiast <laughs> told me this once. Okay. So right. I'll, well, I'll take it as a word of God. Right. Of course. Of course. As you do. Um, well, and uh, Rodrigo, I, I know you don't have uh, anywhere near as much tabletop experience uh, as either of us, but uh, go ahead and just the, the one experience that we did what share together. Tell us a little bit about your sort of first impressions. What do you mean? Wait, wait, no, you mean? I'm Rodrigo. the wizard. That was my. That, that was actually my joke. That was the man's joke. That was word for word. I was gonna say, like, he's the wizard of the coast. I stole it, man. Um, yeah. So for me, tabletop like wasn't really a thing, you know. Like ever since like growing up in Mexico, like I, I don't even think most of the like the the whole stereotype that you see on movies and this and that of Dungeons and Dragons and like tabletop. Like you cannot even see that in Mexico, like from a young age, at least from my, like you can call me out also in the comments if I'm, if like maybe you're one of those weird kids or something, but like, to be honest, like I, I didn't oh. see like, no, 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 because that's true. Like if something is out of the ordinary, it's weird or something like I'm weird sometimes, but I, I didn't see most of this world or more, most of this like activity in my young age, like I didn't see nobody playing Dungeons and Dragons or something. It was just mostly like something that you saw through media, like through movies, through TV that we consume from the United States. But there, there was not like easily like the most tabletop thing. And it's not tabletop thing, nerdy thing that you can see. It's guys playing Yu-Gi-Oh! But like that's <laughs> completely something apart, you know, it's not actual tabletop. Uh, and until recently, when I, when I met you, Stafford, like I saw that there was like a whole culture of things of tabletop of people actually like gathering together, playing a role, uh, having like, like late nights, uh, campaigns that last for months. Uh, and, and yeah, so <laughs> what? Years even. Yeah, yeah, yeah. years even. Uh, and and yeah, so I gave it a try with you guys, uh, <laughs> and it actually was fun. Like mm -hmm. the the thing is. I think just like anybody, like you're kind of like afraid of diving into the role right away or something and playing a character because I don't know, like, is that kind of like shame of like, oh, I'm going to look like a dork, you know, or I'm going to look stupid or something. But the more I think about it, like if we talk straight role playing, not, not tabletop itself, most of my video game experience i'm always role-playing you know if i'm playing like i don't know ghost of tsushima recently like every action that i take on the game i try to take it as if i was the character you know and right now that i'm also playing like the the expansion the dlc like the legends thing the cooperative thing that arthur still owes me like uh a match or whatever um i, I still play like thinking about it you know like i still think like if I was this character, how would I behave? You know, if I if I'm doing like a reverence or I'm like helping out or this and that, you know. So I I'm most all, all, most of the time when I'm playing, I I dive into the role. It's just like kind of like expressing that through a tabletop and having like somebody in front of you. I think can be kind of intimidating at some point, you know. And to echo what Rodrigo is saying as well, like. I, I feel Rodrigo for 100% of the time. I got into tabletop four years ago. But Rodrigo says, like, putting yourself in the shoes of the character you're playing. That's why I love Destiny so much. Because, like, mm -hmm. I can play Destiny as a bunch of silent protagonists. And I can go to, like, cold tundra planets. 
and shoot some aliens to protect this earth. And I can put myself in the world, do like do the role playing and tabletop RPGs, tabletop games, because they're not, they don't have a, a preset number of conclusions and destinations because they have a human controlling it. So a human has more adaptability than a computer ever will. Mm-hmm. Well, those I mean, options within our lifetime, within the, the, our decade at least. Yeah. It adds a breadth and depth of encounterable possibilities, mm-hmm. right? Which is, I think, is the most fun part. I think, like, just this week, actually, I was GMing a session of uh, Dungeons and Destiny that, that met the system I GM for a couple of friends of mine. And they just fucked up, they, like, they fucked up their quest so bad. Like, they were doing a quest or doing like a thing. They had to, like, mm-hmm. do a prison, a prison break, pretty much, right? They had to do a prison break, hitting a convoy. The story I had planned was that they were going to do it. They were going to get it. They were going to actually get the prisoner out of it and be able to like continue with their quest because they needed a prisoner to do something, a different quest. Mm-hmm. didn't happen. They actually fucked up. One of them read one of their spells the wrong way, so the spell didn't work how he thought it was going to work, so they couldn't do a distraction. They got yep. into a fight yep. where four out of five members were able to drive off and survive or one got captured. And now they, they, they've been ID'd. Like the people, the, the, the prison system, the, the cops has, has ID'd them. They saved the prisoner, but now they, the, the people that they were robbing from know who they are. And that fucks up a lot of things because they also want to work with the people they were attacking. Consequences. And, and all my so, consequences. All my plans are gone. But like the reason why I went this whole tangent is because if this was Skyrim, Cyberpunk 2077, actually, I don't know how Cyberpunk is going to work, but things are out. Skyrim. <laughs> We're being uh, sponsored Dio, by Cyberpunk. Yeah, Dio's X, uh, Dio's X, right? Any of those games, this would be a failed save state. This would be like a failed save game. Like you get a game over screen and you try it again. But because it isn't a video game, it's an actual tabletop RPG system, there is no game over screen. They just mm-hmm. keep going and it's face the consequences of the fact they fucked up and the story yeah. goes on. And that's what I love the most about tabletop is the consequences and the, like, the infinite draft. Yeah depth of everything you can do on them um so as much as i love hearing all the good wonderful things about uh, about D, we do have a show to put on gentlemen which is to say that we're talking specifically about how D has sort of influenced um other writers or, or other media creators and how it's sort of shaping the landscape today um and really as as many of our audience may have noticed is suddenly sort of growing and becoming more and more you know mainstream it's becoming less of this um niche uh, weird kind of culture and really becoming a part of the the sort of larger culture um, of media, which is fantastic. Um, but as, since all of us are sort of writers, I know I'll probably be chiming in and Arthur, you'll probably be chiming in with some sort of ways that maybe tabletop has sort of influenced your writing or, or your sort of creativity. Um, and Rodrigo, your, your, your one experience, if it has influenced you, I would be very honored as your DM for that one session that we did. Um, but I, I imagine you probably have a little bit less of that connection to it, but um well, like, yeah, like I don't have a lot of experience in tabletop, but I remember watching not that long ago a video from. It's one of the creators of Rick and Morty, uh, Dan Harmon. Dan Harmon. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, and he's and he's a tabletop game, and it, it was like a cool analysis of how, like, the other guys were just playing. And it was like fun and games or something, but he took it really seriously. Like, not not like he was kind of like stone face or something, but he took it seriously that he was playing a character and his character had flaws 
and then through the sessions and through the animated show or whatever that later they made mm -hmm. about it like you can see the character actually struggling to come into fruition and like mending his wrongs and, and it, it just makes it more compelling you know like the yeah. whole the whole aesthetic and i thought it was really cool because even though i didn't watch the whole show or i didn't watch like the whole sessions or something from the clips that i got to see in that video i i was invested because it was like oh like this actually storytelling you know like you mm -hmm. guys like well you in specific like you built a character and i can see that you're trying to make him evolve but still like you're giving him dramatic hints here and there in order for me to like that as, as I just mentioned, me that I haven't seen like jack shit of the show, I'm like worried that this character is going to fail or, or I'm mm -hmm. uh, happy that this character is going to uh, succeed in his quest or whatever, you know? So I thought it was really cool in that fact. Um, mm -hmm. Regarding the, the, <laughs> the only session that I have had of uh, tabletop with you guys, well, also the, the thing is like, I, I can admit that I didn't like gave it to easily or i give it kind of like hard to you with my character because like my, my character basically so maybe Stafford will will tell you guys more of the setting and here and there but it was kind of like a post-apocalyptic world and here and there wherever well you know it's post-apocalyptic uh uh and pretty much i was like a larva uh mind inducing thing inside a k-pop star that it was kind of like a hunter and then, like, most of my decisions through that, like, and, and that's why I'm saying, like, I, I dive into the role. Mm. Because, like, most of my decisions, even though, like, sound absurd, and, like, most of the things that I tried to do, yeah, it was funny and fucked up, but it was within the character. I tried to, like, lure a monster by dancing away or something. So there's this and that, you know? Hey, hey, hey it worked. The monster got pretty hurt. Yeah, exactly. We, so, we, did, we did kill an innocent. We did kill an <laughs> accident, but you know, you know, collateral accidents, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Accidents happen. Collateral but, damage, it does happen. But but it is cool, you know. Like I, I think if we could have continued that session or that campaign or whatever, or whenever we start doing like an, another tabletop, because I, I I think we have discussed it in the past doing another uh RPG tabletop uh campaign or whatever. I think it will be cool to just see or at least in my mind record what is happening, like how my character starts and from there, like when, whenever we finish the session or whenever like we're halfway through, just looking back and seeing like, oh, this is the, all, all the development and all the things that my character has gone through, you know? So yeah. th that's why I'm interested on in doing it yet again. If it was mm -hmm. a bad experience or it was like, oh, I made a fool of myself. I wouldn't try it again, but mm -hmm. like I think it was really cool and of an experience to make another way of storytelling. Yeah, well, and you mentioned Harmon Quest that that show that you were referring to, um, where it's Dan Harmon's D and D game, then they animated it later. Um, and that, yeah, that's that's a really good example of sort of a really direct example of like D and D informing you know an animated show. But even in in other ways, um, it's becoming like it it is that experience of like really putting yourself into a character is becoming more and more of this like it really it's really informing a lot of people vin diesel is one of my favorite examples to bring up because the dude is like intense when he plays there is a video online he did a session with the critical role folks um which we'll touch on critical role a bit uh down the road here but um a, a, the last witch hunter film that he did uh relatively recently um the character 
that he plays in this film is actually a D&D character that he had played in his youth. And it was, you know, one of these characters that was very near and dear to his heart that he'd played for, you know, for some time. And that then informed this film that he did, you know, later in life, right? That sort of that experience of having put himself in that character, having, you know, been motivated by that character's motivations and then having to overcome things as that character created this um really this film centered around this character and of course it was you know a whole different thing but go ahead. and honestly like it's i don't think it's a bad way of going about it i, I actually i think it's a bad way of going about it because he's dnd and dnd is, is, is stuff to create characters in dnd that have like flaws mm-hmm. and because what happens to a lot of writers right and a lot of writers and directors and creators when they're making a character is that they have a tough time making a character that's out of the mold that it's out of the stereotype right mm-hmm. oh it's a it's the funny it's a funny fast punchy guy it's the cocky scientist guy it's the arrogant old leader guy right mm-hmm. there's all these archetypes that we know all too well because we watch so many movies we play so many video games and we gravitate towards them and for some people it's very tough to like break the mold like oh what do i do and just like you said just throwing stuff on the wall to see what sticks what i really like about rpgs and i actually used them for this before is that if you go to use a system like GURPS, um, Generic Universal Role-Playing System, is what GURPS stands for. It's the most generic tabletop RPG system you can find. That's why it exists, to be generic and to fit any setting you need. And the great thing about GURPS that I love so much is that GURPS has a system of flaws, flaws and quirks, which are bad things that you add to your character, but you add them to make him get more points so he can level up faster, right? But... The game encouraging you to pick flaws up and infuse those flaws into what otherwise would be a perfect character, help you make a a more human, multifaceted-like character. Because now you have the fast, quirky, fighty, jumpy guy, but he's also very religious, and he he that religion stops him from opening himself up and he's very repressed because of that right and that's a choice that a game encourages you to pick and by any way shape or form i do not recommend making movies or tv shows or anything out of D experiences because they're not very cinematic like they're pretty fun to play but as a viewer if you're watching them not as a D session but as a movie or a tv show it most of the time there's a few exceptions but most of the time it ends up falling flat which is why if you're a good dm they're not really being a good Game master doesn't mean you're a good director, right? Because it's a different set of skills and rules. However, with that said, I think it's pretty it's a pretty great framework so you can start on, right? Mm-hmm. Don't make a movie based on a DD session you GM in 2008 with your high school friends, right? But get that one super cool character you made for that one session and make a story tailored around him. I feel like that's a great way of doing things. Well, In fact, now that you were mentioning that, like the GURPS system, you said? GURPS, GURPS, yeah. GURPS, yeah. Like that reminded me a lot of like uh, my Crusader Kings 2 uh, campaign and everything. Because in fact, when you're creating a character in Crusader Kings, because you have the ability to make your own ruler, uh, is that, you know, like if you want to be like the handsome, strong, this and that, like you want to make the perfect character, the thing is like the penalty that they give you is that they they add up more age, you know? So if you want to be strong, they add you like 15 years or something. Then if you want to be a genius, they add you like 13 years. So at that point, your character is like 55 years old, yeah. right? And then like, if you want to make him, I don't remember another like good trait. I always pick shitty traits. So 
they I don't know, like they made you like super fertile or something. They add you like 20 more years or something. Mm. So at that point, you're a 17 year old man. So you have like a limited, um, yeah, like a limited uh, timestamp to make your campaign and to procreate children in order for you to continue the game and all that kind of stuff. So the game encourages you to take like even super shitty like traits, like that you're incestual, that you're like, uh, yeah, like you're ugly, that you are scarred, that you're dumb. But but it's not only like, oh, I'm like um, dumb, like, I don't know, two plus two, you know, it's like super fucking dumb. So like that, inavil- like doesn't like uh, give you a lot of choices. So I think that's cool to have kind of like that system being kind of like translated to a game like Crusader Kings, you know, because mm-hmm. that I can feel more related towards the whole topic of... Uh, role-playing and tabletop because mm-hmm. i can see that thing applied to a, a video game that i love so much you know yeah yeah yeah, yeah. well and, and i think with um the, the big thing with regards to role-playing and it's sort of how it relates to other media is that um the the one element is is that it's unexpected that you know as as arthur you brought up um you know the the human mind the human imagination currently outpaces any computer program or whatever right um and that's it is People can zig when they were supposed to zag, or they can zag when they were supposed to zig, and suddenly you're in completely uncharted territory. And at least in my own personal experience, that's where the most interesting stories come from, is when all of a sudden everything is, and everybody at the table is doing something that they weren't expecting to be doing. And when you're dealing with you know, writing for film, or writing for a book, or writing for a video game, or really all these other sort of media forms, you control all the variables. You as the writer, I you know, I control the character and the villain, you know, and I control mm-hmm. the environment and I control uh, the supporting cast and I control all these pieces and I can move them around and I can try to do things interestingly. I can, I can include flaws in my character. I can make my villain um, sympathetic and, you know, I can do all these things that make a more complex story than just, a, you know, good guys versus bad guys. But at the end of the day, I still control all these pieces. These are pieces I'm moving around on a board to my liking. Whereas in tabletop, there is such this, like, all of a sudden shit can happen. And it's, you know, there is a what do I do action. now? Um, there, there's the human factor, right? Because mm-hmm. I feel there's a lot of things, a lot of stories miss. Especially a lot of, like, beginning writers make this mistake, right? Is that your characters in your movie or in your book, they are human, right? They are human. And if humans that have one constant in between all of us, Mm-hmm. is that we all make mistakes and we all fuck up mm-hmm. so i can go and say hey i believe i i with a strong conviction believe that you should never have you know you should, you should never have a sip of alcohol let's say that i have this strong belief mm-hmm. that i should never have a sip of alcohol right and I feel like a, a a beginning writer would take that as law as rule and mm-hmm that'll be it mm-hmm. and this character is just he this is prerogative it's his creed and he's never gonna break it it's his care but i think it's more, much more interesting if the character fucks up if the character makes a mistake and that happens a lot more in this a lot of tabletop systems because you have actual instead of being you trying to architect this whole story as you said you have players 
not trying to architect a story, but trying to navigate a story. Mm-hmm. And because they're trying to navigate it, they don't have control of other pieces. They will make mistakes, which will make the story, in my opinion, more human, more interesting. Again, this is not, I'm not saying for you to make a movie based on your D&D campaign from 2008, because oh, it's probably not going to be good. But take aspects of it. Take, mm-hmm. I think the greatest example I have is that I had this one character, right? I had this one, I was playing a Star Wars campaign where I had this one character who was, uh, we had a ship and he was the ship's captain, right? He was a he was an ex-resistance ex drop shock trooper, a veteran, pretty much a terrorist at the time because they were fighting the empire, blah, 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 blah. And he had all these creeds of being a good leader, of protecting his crew, of doing what was right, defeating the empire at whatever cost, and always doing everything to protect his crew. And during the game, we had a situation where we had a hostage and we had a different ship attacking us. And we had a hostage from the ship on our ship, right? And on a movie, like on a, on a movie written by a, a not so great writer, let's say, and it's not a dig at anyone specific. It's just like a fictional, not so great writer. This don't, writer- Don't forget, you're contractually obligated to shit on at least one person every episode, so. So if Rodrigo was writing this movie, right? If Rodrigo was the writer for this movie, I'm sorry, it's a contract. If Rodrigo was writing this movie, no, right? No, but it has to be like somebody relevant, somebody famous. So that if we can David him... Cage was writing this fucking go. movie, there let's go. go. If, da- if David fucking Cage from Quantic Dream was writing this movie, yeah. right? Yeah. We had Mr. Cage being the one on the reins. If there's like heavy rain in space, right? Let's say that. What would happen is that David has set up this character as this leader character, as this this person who's like the, a bastion of leadership, responsibility, on a way radicalism, mm-hmm. and this will be his character traits. And he would have the situation, and he would be a leader. He would negotiate. He would be a hard ass. He'd be a pain in the ass. But at the end, he would just negotiate because that's the character set up so far. Because it was a D and D campaign, and I was the I, I, a human who was controlling the character. Right? No, I'm not a robot like David Cage. I'm a human. I'm not a lizard person like him. So I'm controlling this character, right? And the GM is goading me. And on my cocky human, warm human brain, I think, man, I can take down that spaceship. So I'm going to make a risk. And I kill the hostage. And our ship almost gets blown up because of that. I go, I kill the hostage. And our ship gets attacked by the other ship, who completely outguns us. And we have to escape with our ship almost destroyed. And that started a whole arc where the crew of my ship, the other players, didn't trust my leadership anymore because I got almost got us killed on a heat of the moment on a mistake. It's th- that mistake is not part of my character. It's like it's like he's not a hothead. He's not someone that would do the thing he did, but he's human. And humans make mistakes, mm-hmm. and I feel like that like that as a human factor to story that it wouldn't otherwise have. And that's another interesting thing of tabletops. So now it's something that I consider right. If I'm writing a story, you know a character can sometimes act out of character because humans act out of character every time. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, absolutely. Um, and you know, I mean, again, there's, I, I think we're starting to see a lot of, um, a lot of really well-known personalities starting to talk a lot more about D and D thanks to, again, as I mentioned before, critical role, the adventure zone, a lot of these sort of media things. Um, and, and I think it's exciting to potentially think about like what sort of stories are we going to see in the future as more and more people are um, playing D&D and, and writing stories where their heroes fail ultimately, right? I mean, I think, 
you know, I mean, I, I hate to, I hate to open this door necessarily, but you're talking about star Wars. So it's getting me, it's, it's getting me thinking, um, which is that with the star Wars films, you know, honestly, this, this latest trilogy, right? Like it's one of the big criticisms of it is that the, the heroes don't ever really, or I should say the one hero Ray never really fails at anything. Right. And so ultimately that story kind of feels hollow when she's talking about struggles that she's had to endure because at the end of the day, she never, she never really fails. Right. Like nothing that she does ends up just actually being a like, well, I fucked up moment. Things might not go perfectly, but at the end, it always sort of shakes out the way it's supposed to. And you see, and as you've brought up right in tabletop, that doesn't happen in tabletop. Sometimes you just fuck up. And just sometimes it's just, that's all it is, is at the end of the day, there is, you know, you're trying, you salvage it as best you can, but sometimes just bad shit happens, which is very which, human. But to be fair, is also the reason why I don't think tabletop should be used mm -hmm. as the framework for a narrative story. Mm -hmm. Because a lot of things in the tabletop are done by random chance, by dices, by whatever. Right. Right? So imagine you're watching, you're watching Return of the Jedi, right? You're watching Return of the Jedi, and you have Lando Calrissian falling in Lenny Falls. Flying the Millennium Falcon. To he rolls a nat one and crashes the center. <laughs> exactly. And he rolls a nat one and misses his job. Death Star is still up and he crashes the Millennium Falcon right onto a wall. The This ship that you have all his attachment to gets destroyed in a second by crashing on a wall. And Chewie and Lando, they all die. That's something that could very much happen in the D&D system. And it, when I talk about top system, but it's not interesting to see on a movie or a comic book or a book. It's very anticlimactic and very underwhelming. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Although as a player, that's fucking awesome. Like, holy fuck. Like, but as an audience member, as a watcher, like that's, yeah. it's very anticlimactic. Yeah. Well, and, and the thing is, I, I have sort of two examples to go over with you guys here. And, and unfortunately, and you know what, actually maybe what we should do at some point is a review of the Dungeons and Dragons film from oh, God, i believe no. the film? late 90s oh yeah there's a dungeons and dragons oh, God, film. No. feature film from uh is, from i is, think it's the late 90s i could be wrong on that is that the one of the rock i don't i don't think the rock's in it it was a bunch of like unknown people if okay. i remember right uh and it's bad it's bad <laughs> uh it's like a couple of D, D characters get like brought into um into reality um they do that it's it's a whole it's it's bad wait wait wait, wait. Is, is that just jumanji uh yeah it's, it's very like it's is very that like reverse jumanji. jumanji yeah it's very like reverse jumanji yeah there's like wow. a couple of this like prince and like some I, I, yeah it's it's been a long time but and there's a has... sequel to it what the fuck oh yeah like there's two of them mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. can I, can we just watch the movie and restart the program and that's all we talk about <laughs> i mean I'm down to I'm down to do it. It's been a long time, but uh, but Wait, I you actually remember you actually watched this, huh? Yeah, I watched it. Yeah, you put oh, yourself you, through this. You know what, Arthur? Like, it's not the guy. It's not the Rock, but I think the guy from the Mummy, the the bald guy, he's in this film as well. Mm. Random Fraser? Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. No, 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 no the no, the bald, the bald guy. guy. The guy who plays the Mummy. Oh fuck! Yeah, it's oh. not gonna work, bud. <laughs> the guy, the oh. guy who plays the Mummy and the Mummy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That guy. Um. Yeah, so, so that as sort of like an example of what you're pointing out, Arthur, is where this was probably somebody basically taking like, okay, we're going to record a transcript of this like D&D &D session or whatever. And like, you know, and this is going to be how it kind of plays out, um, which given that they end up in reality, not necessarily a direct comparison, but this is sort of like a, a unedited version of D&D &D in, in another form of media. Um, but then we've got sort of other where it's sort of good examples like Critical Role, 
since we're going to touch it, since I've been talking about touching on that, as we enter into, you know, and, and again, those of you who aren't familiar, Critical Role is um, a bunch of voice actors who play D&D on the internet. And that's like, it's just straight up, you're watching them play D&D. The most, um, I, I, let me just say, it's not a big a Critical Role because I like Critical Role, but it's the most unrealistic game of D&D possible because you have a bunch of voice actors playing it and you have 100% buy-in on all of them, all of their parts. Right. So everyone is... It's actors acting out and like it's you're never gonna play a game of DD. Like don't watch Critical Role and think every game of DD is like Critical Role because yeah. it isn't. Which yeah, which I mean, hey, if this were a video essay about about tabletop or about critical role, we could go I could go for miles on that uh, alone. But specifically looking at like sort of what separates those kind of examples beyond just one's a film and one's sort of a web series, but both of them have a level of professional production. That happens. Both of them have budgets, both of them, you know, whatever. And, and admittedly, they're, you know, a couple decades apart now, but there's still, um, as, as you're bringing up, you know, don't just make a show that's your, your D&D game. But here we have people who've made shows that's just their D&D game and as good let examples, but also as bad examples. Again, there's, me, there's bad let examples. So let, let me clarify here my, my, my quote. Let me clarify my quote here. Oh, okay. Right. Don't Did make quote you. No, he didn't, but I guess I need to clarify it to make a bit more sense. Uh, don't make uh, a narrative movie or TV show based solely on your D&D campaign without tweaks. Because the, the, weird, the weird thing about mediums is that mediums have expectations, mm -hmm. right? Mediums have expectations. And that's the unfortunate thing of it. Like if you're making a movie, there's a certain expectation for the movie to have a certain arc or try a certain way. Some people break his expectations and do things very well. They by breaking those expectations, they are able to get out of their mold and make something interesting. A lot of times people break out of this their mold and just disappoint people, right? I feel like the big difference between the Dungeons and Dragons movie and Critical Role is that the expectations you have when you're sitting down in a movie theater to watch a fantasy Dungeons and Dragons movie versus the expectation you have of watching critical role watching these guys play DD because i feel like critical role is much more about them playing the game as itself and them going through playing the game's mechanics and systems rather than just the story being told by the game right there's a different expectation in watching the two if critical role just released as a movie without all the the gameplay parts of it just as a story told movie i don't think it would have the success it has right now so, oh no, oh no. <laughs> I, the thing is, I actually, this is a very interesting point is expectations and sort of what it is that you're going in for. And and the fact that each sort of medium has a very, um, very different, very different expectations, different, different um, rules, we'll say, right? Just because, you know, a film is not a TV show, is not a comic book, is not a video game. And you can take the same story hypothetically and put it in all those things, but not without tweaks, right? Because they are yes. different in, in architecture. But what I find, what, what I'm, the example here that I grabbed from my bookshelf. Oh is, no. Is, yeah, okay, we, uh, thank you, Zoom, you're fucking useless. Is um, <laughs> the Adventure hey, Zone comic. Don't shit on a sponsor. There please. we go, there we go. Sponsor the Adventure Zone name. comic book. Specifically just because this actually embraces the fact that it was a D&D game. And at many times there's a, a narrator as played by the DM and they make reference to their dice rolls and things in the comic book. Now, it's an imperfect example because this is, of course, a comic book that came out specifically around an existing media property that was D&D as opposed to, you know, 
blah, 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 whatever. And they already had a following that was sort of had the expectation of D&D. But even having moved into a different medium, they sort of embraced that, that root of D&D. And it, and it worked out and it's still, it made quite a successful comic book run. They've, this is only the first one, but they've got several others uh, that, that are sort of an ongoing thing. And so I think while I do agree that, you know, again, you can't just copy paste. It's got to be accepted that every medium is different. I think we're starting to see that people are, people are, are saying the embracing the nature of that, that interactive storytelling, that narrative storytelling within that format of tabletop and bringing it into other mediums. Yes, but you understand that when you coach, like it's probably advertised as a tabletop, uh, not thing, but a tabletop storytelling mechanism, right? The comic book. Again, I still, I still think it plays as the, I still think that it plays with the expect, as you said, the expectation of it, even though it is on a different medium. And honestly, I feel like if there was a movie, and the movie wasn't about a story you got on a tabletop game, but someone playing a tabletop game and getting a story out of it, mm-hmm. like Critical Role does, and uh, as comic book, also a film like that. I think that works a lot better. Now, if I'm watching Lord of the Rings, and I'm watching Lord of the Rings, and by the end of it, Frodo fumbles and falls into lava and dies, and that's the end of Lord of the Rings. Like, how disappointing would that be, right? Or if I'm watching, let's say, Avengers Endgame. I'm watching Endgame, mm-hmm. and Tony Stark fails his light of, light of hand check, and he doesn't get Infinity Stones. And Thanos just snaps his fingers anyway, and all the movie right. was for nothing, right? Like, I feel like that's the biggest difference. Like, if you're playing this as you are aware, like, you, there's the awareness that this is something related to a not structure. You're not expecting the structure when you're going in. Mm-hmm. I feel like like you're self-aware of that, and it makes it very, very clear. It's a different than from just, oh, I have this D&D story that I want to make into a script. Yeah. And that's yeah. that. Mm-hmm. So you brought that up, and it reminded me of yet another D&D film. This one done by an indie, not with the official D&D property, but... Um, like an indie thing. I believe it's even on YouTube, so we could actually watch it, called oh, The no. Gamers, uh, which oh, is about no. exactly that. It's about oh. a D&D group, and then they go and they actually like film. It's it's You you see them playing, right? But you hey, also gamers. see their characters, and it's it's a very interesting exploration, actually, of that sort of um, really at, at the core of it. It's not, it's not the story of their game. It's the story of them as friends, like the, the players sort of um, exploring their friendship through the game, and there's I don't know. I could go on for. A I while, mean, we, but... we we are we are currently working on a script like that, right? Are we? Towers and Towers and Torture. Towers oh and yeah, that's right. Yeah, actually, yeah, you should, on... you should watch this for research. <laughs> I know like, what I know what like, projects we're working on. Oh, like, <laughs> that's a that's a product we're working on. That's a, yeah. it's, a it's an idea we've been bouncing around to have a few yeah. drafts off. To yeah, you should. Uh, you should like you have been in development or something. Yeah. yeah, no, it's not, it's not like we had like, like what five drafts now. Yeah, yes, it's not like we tried from this last year or something. You know, right. But, uh, um, but yeah, so, so, you know, there are, um, again, I'm sort of, I'm sort of bouncing back and forth and I, and as, as our audience may have figured out, I like to play devil's advocate. So I, I do a lot of bouncing back and forth, but, um, but that's it is I, I think, you know, there is some merit to your thing, to your points, Arthur, like you can't, um, just sort of take and copy paste. And I do agree. Um, but I think we're seeing as, as tabletop role-playing becomes a, more mainstream activity um again i mean seeing in good lord um 
seeing in uh, uh, oh, brain fart. Um, oh, what's that show? It's that you Netflix show. You got this. Come and on, it has the mind flayer monster, and it's set in the like eighties with the kids. Stranger Things. Oh, Stranger Things. I figured it out. I got there. There's a roadmap of my brain. It's um, a mind flayer. Yeah. Uh, so that was it. Is like they, you know, it opens with them playing D and D, and then it closes right. with them playing D and D. I need to get into a tangent here with you. Oh, okay. right now. Right, go ahead. I need, go I, need, ahead. I need to go into tangent. What's up with mind flayers? And I don't mean like what's up with mind flayers. Like what are they? I know what they are. I mean, what's up with mind flayers just becoming a part of pop culture like out of nowhere? Like mind flayers went from being like this very niche Lovecraftian. D&D alien monster to now being on a main Netflix show. And that feels like out of fucking nowhere. Arthur, you've you've made my point for me. This is what I'm talking about. This is exactly what I'm talking about. So this is my point, right? Is that D&D is starting to tabletop. And again, D&D and D&D being sort of the, the leading tabletop sort of icon, I should say. Don't you um, bi- don't you besmirch advanced Dungeons and Dragons like that? It being sort of the leading tabletop icon um, means that it's sort of the the one that gets arguably sort of referenced the most, and people sort of think. I think there's the the perception that D and D and tabletop are sort of interchangeable. Even in my own diction, I'll sometimes swap the two, um, or or use one for the other. Whatever. Hell, we've done this on this show, so, so we've done this it, on exactly, this podcast. Right. So. Um, that's it. Is is it Dungeons and Dragons? Mind flayers have been a thing for you know since since time eternal. I don't I don't know actually when they were first introduced, but they've been around for second a while. edition. Second edition, oh, I'm pretty well, sure. Fucking, there you go, I guess. Um, <laughs> but that's it. Is right? Is this monster that people have probably died to many times because mind flayers are notorious for total party kills has become now synonymous in their sort of. And now all these people who played D&D as kids died to a bunch of mind flayers. Now they're writing Netflix shows, right? And they're thinking, mm-hmm. okay, what's this terrifying eldritch beast? Oh, yeah, the mind flayer. They used to kill my friends and I all the time. That yeah, was okay. this terrifying eldritch beast, right? And so it enters suddenly into the public lexicon. And then suddenly it's it's just, that's just a thing now. That's not even a D&D thing. It's just a thing. It's so weird to like we be talking with my mom about like Stranger Things. She goes, yeah, that mind flare was kind of scary. And I go, <laughs> you are not Excuse supposed you. to say that name. You're not supposed to know about this stuff. That is forbidden knowledge. <laughs> yeah. It's weird that moms nowadays, like they know about like, for example, this kind of stuff and online games. Like I know from my time and I didn't play a lot of like online at that moment but i remember like i should go like down to dinner or something and i'm playing like an online session or something and, and she says like pause the game and i'm like well it's, it's an online game like you cannot pause it and now moms know that you know like because they have like grown up like that generation <laughs> yeah. and now they know that shit but it's just mind mind flame mind flame yeah it's kind of crazy it's, but, i um, think game of, game of thrones has a similar thing like game of thrones going a very dark fantasy kind of route but still like the books still took some some cues from from Tolkien who of course D&D took a lot of cues from Tolkien yeah so Tolkien not Tolkien Tolkien I'm going to say Tolkien just to piss people off so Tolkien (laughs) he's the father of all this kind of fantasy stuff 
Mm-hmm. And it, it's kind of crazy. Like, like my mom talking about mind flayers or talking to my brother about Game of Thrones. And he goes, oh, yeah, no, those uh, faceless men were kind of scary. I'm like, yeah. Those are, those are, yeah, they were, weren't they, huh? <laughs> they were, weren't they? Yeah. Huh. Um... Well, and that's it, right? Is like, and and again, I could go for miles about like mind flayers and how like cool some of the lore is and how underrepresented they are. And I, I don't know, I could go for fucking forever. Anyway, I love I love mind flayers. Uh, but like, why mind flayers? Mysteries. There's a mind flayer character. Like, but, but, okay, but that's my question. I guess why mind flayers? Why not owl bears? Like, why was the scary. mind flayer? Because they're scary. They're unknown. They're alien. Like, like I think I think there's a number of different reasons. One, they're they're these alien creatures. Like they're they're um, inherently not understandable. Like they they don't feel empathy. They don't feel feelings. They're creatures of pure logic, right? And so and they're evil creatures of pure logic, right? So it, there's this alien sense to them. They're I think they're square and uncanny valley personally because they're human enough, but so not human. <clears throat> and then also, I mean, there's something to be said for media influences it's you know it's the cyclical thing right there's the the idea influences the media the media influences the idea stranger things introduced mind player as a concept into the public lexicon because it skyrocketed on netflix right suddenly then everybody is thinking everybody knows what a mind player is now and so suddenly writers can use mind player as a term and as a creature and people just kind of understand uh, wizards themselves made Baldur's gate three and the the Mm. main marketing device is the mind player yeah and I would, well, I would 100% give that to Stranger Things. Also, I think, like, because you guys have pointed out, like, mind flares are really, like, related or inspired by Lovecraftian horror. Mm-hmm. And I think, like, also we have seen recently a lot of, like, Lovecraft being thrown into the mainstream. Like, we have seen it with the Sinking mm-hmm. City and the uh, mm-hmm. Call of Cthulhu game. Lovecraft Country. Lovecraft, Lovecraft, Lovecraft Country. Apparently, it's amazing. I gotta watch that. Still. Uh, we gotta watch that show, and like we have to talk about it. Like uh, apparently, Lovecraft Country is like one of the, like it's probably running. I guess Watchmen is the best show. Yeah, yeah. I, I've heard that. Like I, I think like there's a couple of good series that we should watch. Like Raised by Wolves, uh, Lovecraft Country, Primal. Like there's a bunch of of shows that we need to see. Man, like you need to see it. It's it's really fucking cool. But yeah, like going back into my thing, like I think, and also just from seeing like the material from Baldur's Gate, uh, the trailer that you guys showed me at some point of the Mind Flayer, is that like, in general, I'm a I'm a big Lovecraft uh, Lovecraft uh, lore fanatic and all that kind of stuff. And the thing is, like, these creatures are kind of like something that we we as as humans we cannot comprehend. Like, not only their power, but their their entity itself. You know, so. I think just as always, us as humans, we're always uh, afraid of the unknown, you know, mm-hmm. like whether it's space, whether it's that. So having like a mind, a mind flare or having like a Cthulhu or this kind of stuff is like, we're matching those two together, like space things coming to earth and like unknown powers that we're, we cannot comprehend and we cannot control, you know? Mm-hmm. So I, I just think it, it's sort of like that, you know, like why it has come to fruition like that mind flayer yeah. thing. Yeah, well, and that's that's a very good connection too, right? Is like, yeah, that, that Lovecraftian stuff has has been so big, even outside of mind flayer, right? Like on its own, Lovecraft has become a much bigger um, thing in other forms of media, right? There's Lovecraft yeah. tabletops. Oh yeah, oh, Talk yeah. <laughs> Call of Cthulhu Call is one of the Cthulhu, biggest yeah. ones. It's one of the, it's one of the like pillars. One of Call of Cthulhu is a, as a system, it's uh, as a storytelling device, it's very good. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I, it's, it's a fun system. It plays a lot of like sanity and it plays a lot of the whole Lovecraft thing of like you can see things, but if you see them, you kind of go insane. Yeah. Right. Which for yeah. me is the funniest thing about Lovecraft. So, uh, how does that monster look like? I, I can tell you. It's too scary. I can tell you. Can tell you. You're gonna go crazy. I tell you, you're gonna go crazy. But like, if I like, even explain it, yeah, you will go but insane. Like, but, but like, like this guy, man, it's like it's a big squid. No, 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 no. I can't. I can't. I can't. I can't. I can't. Sorry, I can't. Well, I cannot, it's kind of like the the funny thing also, like since we're diving this into this topic, like is that remember that movie Bird Box that pretty much like took all the Lovecraft lore and just like and, and shoved it, it down its butt yeah and shove it into a Sandra Bullock movie of like yeah. covering your eyes and they never mentioned nothing of Cthulhu and all that kind of stuff but it's mm. clearly clear like something Lovecraftian is happening during that yes. time yes 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 yeah but I would be down to for us to have a session like of Lovecraft yeah. Colorado Space Nick Cage being Nick Cage with purple fancy colors Oh, no. I, I like that movie actually. You like Bird Box? No, no, no. I like the colors out of space. Like oh. it, it's kind of like a big budget B movie because also you have like Nick Cage. I was gonna say uh, Nick Cage kind of settles that. But I don't want to give any spoilers. But the monster that appears later down the film, uh, if you know what I'm talking about, Stafford. Uh, I haven't actually seen it. I'm just I'm just familiar with it. Okay, like so. No, I'm, I'm, I'm talking out of my ass. You caught me, Rodrigo. God damn it! I didn't want to have to tell <laughs> the audience that I was fucking talking out of my ass. Fucking poser, posing all these fucking scammers. Oh, um, poser. No, but so th- there's a part of the movie where they actually show like the like the monster, you know. Mm-hmm. And all this time, I always thought like um, Lovecraftian monsters, like as you said, is is is. is it's easy with Cthulhu. It's, it's really hard with other monsters because whenever you're reading like one of Lovecraft uh, stories, it's like really hard to piece out how do they look, how how do they interact, and all that kind of stuff. In this movie, I think the monster, even though like at some point it looks like a B movie kind of monster, like there's some good like creepiness towards it and really um, English. Um, He's really very English. British. Huh? He's very British, huh? He's like having a yeah, like, British. Hi, Alex Butler. Uh, no, <laughs> but uh, no, it kind of like sums up like the the why Lovecraft is is kind of like horrifying, you know? Mm-hmm. Because I think most of Lovecraft stories, it, like the the horrible thing is not like you're going to get killed or the world is about to end or something. It's like uh, that he's racist. I mean, that's pretty. Yeah. <laughs> Beyond that, <laughs> sorry. Beyond that, <laughs> sorry. I just love. Okay, really quickly. I just love. You know, we went through a whole cycle of Lovecraft. We went from people not knowing who Lovecraft is to people knowing who Lovecraft is to people knowing that Lovecraft's racist to now people everyone knowing that Lovecraft's racist, but like people still say it to kind of feel good. Ah, he's racist, but everyone knows that. Yep. There's a whole cycle, you know? It's like the Stephen Buscemi thing. Like, he was a firefighter in 9-11. Like, everyone knows that now. First, you're just saying it for clout. Uh, yeah, exactly. Like, everyone knows it was racist. Like, it's, it's a dead joke. Dead horse. Yeah, you're <laughs> just we're going to keep beating it. Oh, oh yeah. No, I'll, I'll kick a dead horse all day, but I'll also make fun of myself for doing so. That's consistency. <laughs> oh, that's that's the consistency people come to Moose Mike for. Yes, I call the consistency. Smash that like button. Go, go, go ahead, Rodrigo. <laughs> Go subscribe. Um, no, so so what I'm saying is like what I like about Lovecraft, uh, like the the consequences within the Lovecraft stories, is not that you're going to like your character is going to get killed or something. It's like them going through this spiral of madness and like the 
the thing that ends up in the other side, you know, like whenever like a character is introduced in a Lovecraft uh, novel or something, is is this like let's say this is the how they start, and then like is this like weird thing like when they end, you know, and like that that's what I love about it because then like you can see in other stories like the result of that, and you're like fuck like this was like a, a normal human being or whatever. And now it's just like a guy eating his nails or something like crying on the floor, all arced up, like deformed at this point because of the horrifying thing that he has been going through, you know? Mm -hmm. So whenever I hear somebody in a TV show or in a movie, like say uh, this old catchphrase that we have heard like from time to time of like, there's fates worse than death. Like the first thing that comes to mind, like for me, is like the face that a lot of characters or, or a lot of monsters have in the Lovecraftian lore, you know, because that's definitely worse than that. Like it's yeah. like you're not you're not yourself anymore. You're just like another being trapped within a body or trapped within like a nightmare that never ends, you know. And now, since now it is a uh, uh, sorry, separate, but since now well, it's a Lovecraft podcast, and we're all talking about all things Lovecraft mm -hmm. because Lovecraft has an influential media, so we are allowed to do so. Sue me. Sure. Um, and in tabletops, and in tabletops, of course, in tabletops, in tabletops, in tabletops, in tabletops I assume. Yeah. Anyway, I think it's also very interesting that Lovecraft on media is having like a sort of renaissance because he has been part of media for some time now. I mean, Cthulhu has been in South Park, yeah, like almost a decade ago. I think more than a decade ago, actually, Cthulhu was in like a South Park movie. So Lovecraft, like Cthulhu specifically, has been part of like mainstream culture for some time now. Like people know that like the They know the giant squid monster that is bigger than buildings and walks around. You know, they know that. It's now the other parts of Lovecraft are waking up. Like, was, like Middle of the Tap and like all the other Lovecraft stories are, are coming out and becoming part of mainstream media. Mm -hmm. And it's still, it, it's just hard, you know? Like, that, that's the thing that I give kind of like props to people like from Colors Out of Space and like try, like people that have tried iterations of Lovecraft within film or within like uh, other media like TV series like I haven't watched Lovecraft Country so I cannot I cannot say like uh, how, Should we how's... do a Lovecraft short Rodrigo? Should we? No 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 like that, that's what I'm trying to say like I think <laughs> the, the hard part about trying to do something with Lovecraft is the concepts are so bizarre you know And, and and itself i think the genre like the cosmic horror because that's like an actual genre, like cosmic horror is so hard to boil down and try to explain to a cultural audience you know because the thing is like when you're watching like when you're reading these novels like it's not like you're thinking oh Cthulhu is going to come out of my kitchen or something you know and it's going to chase me down or whatever it's not like a hack and slash or gore thing that is going to happen it's like this fear that there's something out there that is all powerful then whenever he hits earth or whenever he awakens from the depths of earth or something the world is doomed you know and if you if you even like see that thing you're fucked you're going to go insane you know all all this kind of stuff that if you try to translate it to a movie that it, yeah sure Burbox made like an attempt or whatever but whenever you try to do like this kind of stuff it, it kind of like look cheesy But if you're reading it and you're like picturing in your head, like it can really do some, not do some damage, but really like creep you on on the on the back of your neck and start thinking about all this stuff, you know? Yeah. So I think that's why it's really hard. <laughs> 100%. Oh, I'm going insane. 100%. Oh, oh no. 
I think uh, we we finished hijacking the app with the tabletop episode. <laughs> I even changed my background. Like, yeah, this is a complete hijack of the tabletop. <laughs> so sorry, Stafford. No, it's, so all right. it's all right. Lovecraft is Lovecraft is good shit. Um, for our audio listeners, I changed my Zoom background for the video version of the mm-hmm. South Park Cthulhu. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's, I mean, like, yeah, if we're, if we're, if we're going full tilt here on the Lovecraftian thing, I mean, no, 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 you can go back to tabletop if you want. All right, man. Like, let's go back. Let's go back. All right, sure. Well, here, so we'll, we can talk. The other thing that, that I wanted to touch on a bit is, is, uh, I mean, this is the vice, the, the reverse example of how media has influenced tabletop a bit. And this one's a bit more of just like a checklist. There's a, there's a bit less of a, um, um, I guess like, I mean, we could really dive into it, but that isn't necessarily the point today, but there's things like there is, you know, a Call of Cthulhu um, tabletop and there's a Star Wars tabletop and all these things. So it's it's not just, you know, tabletop influencing media, but media influencing tabletop and, and the back and forth of it. Um, as with all media, really, I mean, again, the, you know, idea inspires media, media inspires idea. And it becomes that cyclical relationship. Um, one example that I would like to touch on a bit before jumping to our last uh, chunk um, is Tales from the Loop, which I know, I don't think you guys have really... Um, have watched there's and I've watched a, there's a show of... in Amazon, right? Mm-hmm. I haven't watched it, but I know what it is. Yeah. yeah. So the thing is, part of what I find really interesting about this is this is two different bits of media inspired by the same thing, which is the the photo uh, narrative photo book um, that they're both inspired by. There's a RPG system, and then there's the show, and both of them claim this same source of inspiration, but have these two wildly different approaches. Um, of course, one being this interactive medium and one being, you know, a TV show, right? This sort of, but they have these similar threads and these same kind of uh, elements and storytelling uh, devices as based on this sort of um, inspiration. And, you know, I mean, again, as, as we're, as we went on this tangent about Lovecraft, right? There's this, um, this sort of web of connected ideas. And I guess to that, especially like Rodrigo, I know you've sort of been been quiet for some of this because unfortunately your tabletop experience isn't super um, super super big, basically. But you know, it's okay. I I talk a lot of in other episodes, mm-hmm. so people might be sick of hearing me at this point. Yeah. <laughs> well, but that's it. Is what I wanted to sort of touch on is like basically pick like think about sort of media that you enjoy and then we can sort of pick apart maybe how how many steps removed before it gets to something tabletop right and you can think about that in terms of media in general as a larger thing is you can always trace that sort of source of inspiration you know and for the record next episode you guys can talk about anime and i'll be quiet the whole time okay all right no because we're going to talk about primal and you're going to see it no 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 yeah -hmm. yeah you will is it mandalorian done but no no, it's not even close being done god damn it (laughs) Oh, are, are they going to release that weekly or just yeah, like? Is that what Mandalorian is going to be weekly? Yes. <laughs> I know. Yeah, I know. It's going to be some time. So I cannot. Sk- yeah, no. I, mm. We'll okay. find a topic, I'm sure. Primal, yeah. Uh, we'll find some. So, what was the question, Stafford? Just to kind of like. What was that? I, I think I was. I think I was trying to have a question in there, but it ended up just. The, the, the question ended up being. Sorry, I'll. I'll the question ended up being. What sort of tabletop influence have you seen in media? Mm-hmm. Right? So yeah, like sort Tales of, Loop. sort of, yeah. So a thing like you might not have that big of a connection to it, but like where mm. you can sort of think and try to identify, yeah, try to identify like your own experience, how how far sort of you are from it, you know. Um, and I, and I guess we'll give you some time to think about it. You can, uh, yeah, yeah. You guys discuss while I while I think about it because that caught me off guard. 
Yeah. The okay. other, um, so the, the last sort of thing that I wanted to touch on a bit was, and we, we've discussed this a bit already, but um, the thing of why. So we've talked a lot about how it's influenced and whether it's good or whether it's bad and whether you should do this, whether you should do that. But what I think, what I'm curious for, for our discussion about is where, what, what specific elements of it about tabletop that make it either work or not work in other media, make that as like, you know, because you've talked a little bit, you know, Arthur, about the random element, but there's other pieces to tabletop. There's the interactivity, there's the collaborative storytelling element, there's the imagination element, you know? So I think uh, speaking specifically about interactivity, right? Mm -hmm. One of my f fun funniest moments in tabletop for me was when I was watching this podcast about this Portuguese tabletopping podcast. They had a session where they find the classic old man on the edge of a bridge and you have to answer three riddles so you can go through and right? the classic archetype mm -hmm. right and they answered three riddles correctly and they got passage and as soon as they were done they started chatting with the old guy like oh so do you just hang out here every day and ask riddles like what's your deal like is your day job your family mm -hmm. and like funniest shit ever watching a tabletop game trying to like watch these guys play with what essentially is an archetype and essentially what they're doing is making commentary on the archetype and the fantasy genre, right? But like, yeah, like nobody ever questioned the guy with the three riddles. Like, is that his day job? Like, does he, has, does he have something else going on for him? Maybe he likes origami, you know? Things that mm -hmm. people never thought to ask. And that interactivity is something that like, I never seen in fantasy movies, but I saw on this one tabletop game and it was like hilarious. It was like hysterical how good it was. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure how well it would work on a movie. Not sure. That's one of those things that I could see working if done properly, but like that extra interactivity of like almost being like a self-parody and questioning the inner workings of the system. Yeah. And all, almost like you're breaking the fourth wall, but not really. It's like one of the most funnier aspects of tabletop for me. Of course. Yeah. Um, well, and that's it is I think, you know, as we see the world go into interactive media, um, experiential marketing, uh, VR, more, you know, all these sort of things on like interactive gaming, interactive storytelling in other formats. I think, again, we're going to see even more people drawing on this previously existing, this very long-standing interactive media to sort of supplement these experiences, right? RPGs are becoming more complicated, like video game RPGs, I should say, are becoming more complicated with their choice... I Systems. Don't know if I agree with that. I do not know if I agree with that. Honestly. No, I think specifically their choice systems. I don't know if I agree with that. You still don't agree with that, huh? Because I, I feel like there's exceptions, of course. There is the Larian games. There is hopefully Cyberpunk. Mm -hmm. And oh, the there, Witcher, there was the Witcher. Witcher. Also, right? Witcher. Well, Witcher choose like Witcher choose like three thousand and ten, like two thousand like eleven or something. Know, but, but I remember that like if if you made like a choice within The Witcher two. Like it changed the whole out, like yes. the not only kind of like the story, also like the landscape of the game and all that. Yes. Kind of stuff. So CD Projekt Red, which by the way, fuck them. Not a big fan of them. Fuck them. But to their credit, yeah, they have someone of a more complicated choice system on the RPGs and Larian games, Divinity, Baldur's Gate Three, have them. But I feel those are like the exceptions to the rule because if you look to the rule of RPGs, right? If you look at Wasteland Three. Yes, sorry, yes. I feel like RPG systems today 
are very much like the exception of the few like handful of exceptions are very much more restricted. Wasteland 3 is a lot more restricted than Wasteland 2 was. I don't even talk about Fallout. Fallout 4 is barely makes into an RPG. The even like like Bioware with Mass Effect. Mass Effect 1 was a huge RPG system with like world exploration and multiple endings. And everyone knows what happened to Mass Effect 3. We've lost a whole like dialogue tree choice for our entire game because it got more and more linear. Same thing for Fallout, same thing for Wasteland. And honestly, most modern RPG, the exception being the Larian games, which are not very much mainstream. The Lion King games? Larian, Larian. The guys that make okay. the Indian Ballers game. And also the Lion King uh, movie, Pyan Games, amazing. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> And CD Projekt Red, which has been the new AAA darling, even though they're a piece of shit. The management is not a developer's management is a piece of shit. They, they are new darlings because they are making these in-depth RPGs with multiple endings, multiple world states, but they're very much the exception to it. I when think it to the RPG scene. I think I already mentioned it, but like, and it's not an actual RPG as usual or something, but like, I really love Crusader Kings. Like, and, and now that we have Crusader Kings 3, I think it's something that you could actually try to play as a role-playing game, as a not not as a tabletop, of course, but but it's kind of like a tabletop at some point because I might try to I don't know conquer uh, Arthur's realm or some or, or something don't or try to there. seduce his daughter or whatever. Don't, don't and there's like, don't you touch the <laughs> Tiffany? Uh, <laughs> don't you touch her? And the thing is like, there's always probability that I'm going to like I'm going to fail or I'm going to succeed. And even if I have like a 99 like percent that I could succeed, I still can fuck up, you know. If I try to assassinate like Stafford or something, like there's always like the possibility that my scheme is going to be like showcased or something. So I think kind of like just looking back and, and being like a newbie to all the concepts from uh, tabletop RPG and all that kind of stuff. The, the closest thing that I can relate is like a Crusader Kings campaign or something, you know. That if we ever get to play one, like I think a lot of concepts can be applied to it. Because, yeah, like you play as your realm, you play as your character, you have these traits that you're bound to them and the decisions that you can make. So I, I think it's kind of like more, I think it, it could be like baby step for me to get more into role playing, you know, and more into tabletop, I think. Did I, did, did also that answer the, the last question? A bit, yeah. A fair yeah. bit. Just around, just around again. Like, I Hell think people, yeah. I think connecting again recognizing that that sort of media is all connected i think if anything if there's one takeaway from this episode given how many rabbit holes we've gone down i think that's the big point is that at the end of the day whether it be you know whether whether you're tracing it back to tabletop or whether you're tracing it to tabletop to a million other things it all you know at the end of the day media idea inspires media media inspires idea and so on and so forth which means legally speaking we can talk about whatever we want to move Mike. Yes, legally speaking, we can talk about whatever the fuck we want on Moose Mike. <laughs> yes. All others now. Yeah. <laughs> well, I don't know, gents. I think uh, I think that we're coming to the end of the episode. A bit short, but uh, but that's all right. We had two or we had two or three wait. hour and a half episodes. I I, I have a question. Oh, okay. Uh, because you guys both have been uh, DMs, and for anybody that doesn't know this, because Describe I didn't know this like DM. before, a DM is a dungeon master. So yes, you're very kinky. Mm-hmm. What's yes, kind of like been made before. very kinky? Millions <laughs> or, or, original joke. I know. I, again, I'm out here yeah, just making the classic, original funniest jokes. Yeah. Um, I know, I know. 
So what is like that experience, you know, because of course, like you were in DMs like the first couple of, couple of times that you were playing or something. So how was like that transition from going from player to DM and also like kind of like what is what is something that you need or what tips can you give to somebody that at some point wants to dm but they don't know like what it's, the fuck? it's very much like herding cats very much yes. so so if I, I, I work if i was going to give my dm some someone new dm advice notes do, do, notes yes but do not create plot lines do not mm -hmm. create stories create characters and factions mm -hmm. Create characters and factions and what their goals are, what they're going to do. Make some of them be enemies, some of them be standing against each other. And give them goals so that they can go after even if the players don't interact with them. So that the world feels alive. And when the players do interact with them, if the players have similar goals aligned to them, then they can have quests together and have adventures together. But if not, it doesn't depend on them. And again, don't have a story, right? Don't have... Oh, I'm going to have a messenger go talk to players to let them know that a dragon kidnapped the princess and the king is getting a reward. No, let them players choose what they're starting and say if they start here, a dragon kidnapped the princess and there's a king looking for a reward. But they have to find that on their own. Don't like hook them in. Like two twin DMs are too too strong with their hooks. I would say I I would I mean we're we're entering into a whole other field of uh, of discussion here but I would say I I agree with you with experienced players or with players who are used to playing with each other when you're dealing with your first time DMing or with your first time playing you kind of need a bit more of that push of there's a messenger who shows up in the tavern where you're all at saying there's a reward of 10,000 gold pieces for any heroes brave enough to take on the dragon the reason those things are archetypal you know shitty plot hooks or whatever is because they work when you're when you're first playing and you don't know anything about role playing you don't think i'm going to go to the bounty board and see what messages are available you know or i'm going to go talk to this person you wait for the dm to present you with a story when you're first sort of playing because that's traditionally how a lot of other media works is you are presented with the plot and so it takes kind of breaking into that habit of well no i'm going to go this way and i want to see what's going on over here And so I think for your first time DMing, don't be, don't be uncomfortable with presenting a sort of really obvious plot hook. But Arthur, you gave really good advice, which is don't necessarily say, this is what's going to happen and this is what's going to happen and this is what's going to happen. Create your plot hook, create your villain and create something to introduce the villain to your party. But then have your villain, have their what they're doing in the background and what their goals are and what they're doing. And then have your supporting cast, what they're doing what their goals are. And then the players will sort of take your hook and move forward. They'll say, oh, the messenger comes in. I want to go talk to the messenger. And yeah, I don't know, the messenger's a father of five on a single income. He's got, you know, he's been running around for like three days delivering all these messages. And all he wants to do is go home and see his kids. So he's, you know, as, as he's like leaving the, the tavern or whatever, you approach him. He's like, you know, what do you want? Right, like really brusque. But maybe that's it is maybe he's got information or, or maybe instead of saying giving information, he says, well, I don't have time to talk to you about this. Go talk to this person. And suddenly your party is like, oh, okay, great, cool. That messenger was an asshole and everybody has a laugh about it, but they now know who to go and talk to, right? So, and, sorry, well, this, I mean, you're welcome to, to add your two cents as well. But basically that's it is again, you can be really strong with your hook, but then just again, focus on creating your characters create your um, the space in which for your players to play. And once you've hooked them in, even unexperienced players will start to 
learn very quickly that that exploration and that fun of he said, she said, do this, do that. I'm going to go this way, even though nobody said to go that way, because why not? You know? And uh, a few more things. Uh, don't disagree with that when it comes to beginning players. For experienced people trying to make the game a bit more interesting, I'd always recommend also adding random tables for pretty much everything you do. So if you're going to have a messenger walk in, don't have just, I want this messenger to be a dick. No. Have like six type of messages, a dick messenger, a funny messenger, a useless messenger, an incompetent messenger, and you roll a dice, see which one appears, you know, makes it more interesting for yourself too, and makes the world more, feel more real, because there's a lot more work though, man. It is, yeah, if you, if, if you have it, like, that's how I do everything, every NPC I do is normally, I have a, a set number of NPCs, I roll to see which one's going to show up, I feel like that makes the world more realistic, because oh, it's not the guy. It's not the guy that the story needs. Like the story needs a competent messenger that's going to give you the letter about the king's daughter, right? But it could be that a competent messenger is busy today, or he's on his break, and the really incompetent one comes up, and he's going to talk like this for a long time, and he's not going to know. Like oh my god, I can't find my letter, and oh, so what's your name again? Oh, I'm a big fan of you, you know, and you know, and you can do that kind of stuff where it makes the game more feel like more interesting and more organic. But that's for more, more experienced GMs. For beginner GMs, I have one, the most important tip that I would say for beginners is consent. And I mean consent in every, like, in every meaning of the word. Before starting your D&D campaign, you need session zero. You need to discuss with your players what you think is okay and what you think is not okay on the session. Mm-hmm. If someone has a problem with sexual assault, I see a lot of GMs love love putting sexual assault in their stories. I personally hate that. I do not like playing in worlds. Like it's a, for me, it's a fantasy world. I don't want to live in the gritty reality of the real world. So I like playing on worlds that don't have sexual assault or rape or any kind of those things on the game. So Robert's if that like Robert's third tabletop game. Yes. I had one game where the GM just did that. And I had one of the players enter an actual shock-like state because it brought back bad memories for them. And they had to leave the table. And that's thing that, that, that stuff happens. If you go on Reddit and you go r slash RVG stories, there's a lot of that. So make sure that whatever you're putting in your story in your world is not going to affect anyone. Don't be afraid to have a session zero yeah. and draw some lines. In, in a single word, communication is key. Communication. Yeah. That's, that's, the, that's the big thing as well. That's it's three words, words, words technically. Words. Yeah. Communication is the one word. That's really important. As, yeah, as, like, as, as a DM, yeah, that's a very good point. But I would say too as well, like have fun too. I mean, that's, you know, some of the silliest most ridiculous stories can come from really simple things. Don't think that you have to buy all the books or that you have to have the minis or again, don't watch critical role and think that, they, that if you aren't DMing like Matthew Mercer, then you just shouldn't DM at all. Like no one DMs like Matthew Mercer. I, I doubt Matthew Mercer. Plenty of people DM like Matthew Mercer. Matthew Mercer is not the best DM in the fucking world. And no, no, but like, no, <laughs> but I'm saying no, I'm saying no, it's not about being like a good mechanically, but like narrative wise, no I one wear may- a critical role shirt. Yes. Sorry. <laughs> no, no, no one. Uh, um, I'll say something very controversial. Hot take. No one DMs like Matthew Mercer. Not even Matthew Mercer. Matthew Mercer at a critical role does not DM like that. That's true. That's, he's, DM, he's DMing with a budget for a show, which is a much and for experience. and for entertainment purpose, like for an audience. Mm-hmm. He's DMing for essentially an audience at this point. And mm-hmm. that's not that's nothing wrong with that, but it's like not how you should DM for a game, mm-hmm. right? Well, uh, and also before we cut off, because. Whatever. Because we've gone just uh, completely down our fucking rabbit hole, and I love it. No, 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 no. It's okay. Like I, I like it. it. It gives another scope. But I know you wanted to like take something out of me, like because I'm like new to the RPG and the tabletop mm-hmm. and this kind of stuff. 
uh, and it's another point of view that made you maybe you don't know or something but i think it's more interesting and i don't know if this is going to be a comment a question or or something that will take us into a rabbit hole yeah. but I, i have something that i found really interesting what i got when i got to meet stafford uh is that whenever we're doing like a project or something or specifically like a project within him that is not the documentary it seems your mind always kind of like takes the steps towards making kind of like you take the process from the rpg and the tabletop and you try to take it to a script you know like we're doing like a, a media stuff that i'm not going to reveal or something because whatever but Big like the, yeah like Big secrets company secrets um but the thing is like first meeting that we had about that project like i was expecting like okay this is going to be our main character and he's going to do this this and that like usually how it goes like whenever i'm meeting somebody and he tells me like hey i want to tell a story in this short film that we do this this and that and the the whole message is about this you know and then like we start tweaking. So the thing that happened with Stafford, whenever we started discussing this project, and it was the first project that beyond the, the thing that he helped us out and that we brought him in to be part of like the trio, uh, is that um, whenever I started asking something, like he went into a whole rant of four or five hours of like, the world, <laughs> you know, like almost DMing me at that point, like the world that was there was founded like a thousand years ago. And there's, and like, he started doing like this, like, and I'm saying like a rant because it went for long, but it's not uh, interesting. D&D is a hell of a drug, kids. But it, it was, but the, the thing is like, he was telling me like, there's a shipyard and there's like this uh, market and there's this and that, like there was like a whole world, like it was like completely like a, a world building session kind of stuff. Back of Rodrigo was very, very cool. It's like, it's just sad that at the end we had to put him on a, one of those, those crazy people shirts to make sure he was controlled, but it was very cool. Uh, no, yeah. so, so warm and fuzzy. No, no, no. It, it, it's really cool. It's just like I, I have never seen like or I have never worked with somebody that that talks that way about their project or that like visualizes that their project in that way because that you kind of like I don't remember if Arthur was the one that said it like you were kind of like explaining the story to me through the world and through factions and through races and through like this and that, you know, and mm -hmm. I have never seen like somebody that is trying to do like a, a media project or that I have worked with that, that describes their project that way. So for me, it was kind of like a shock. And also at the same time, it was kind of like, okay, I have to work differently with this guy, you know, in order to come up with this story. Because also the thing, and I'm going to call out Stafford for this. Like the oh, thing shit. is like Stafford- It's not, it's not all roses, it's not all roses. Oh, shit. Stafford oh, shit. has like an encyclopedia, like easily like 10 encyclopedias in his head but the thing is like you tell him okay Stafford but what is happening in this episode he goes to another like 10 chapters of okay this is going to happen because this this happened and then like the world went to shit and this this and okay so, so Stafford why why is this guy dying in episode three on the age of fire <laughs> that was man <laughs> No, wizards. <laughs> and it's like, okay, but how can we make this? I'm in this post and I don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> how can we make like, it's like, it's time for, okay, but how can we explain this in 10 minutes? 
uh, and it's like a whole thing. But but the the thing that I wanted and it's not cheating on you or whatever. It's like the thing that I wanted to get is like how is your process whenever you're like creating a story or creating like these DM sessions or whenever you're creating something because it's creating races and creating factions and creating all this and that, you know? And also mm. you're developing at the moment um, a book or like, I don't know if like an actual RPG system that I think you mentioned from time to time. So can you tell us about that? Because specifically that's why I was really interested about this episode of the podcast of, the, of Tabletop because like, yeah, I'm the newbie. Arthur has like enjoys it and has like fun from time to time with the tabletop. But the actual like DM or the actual master of this kind of stuff or the actual like real fanatic of it is you. So, fanatic, yes, master, questionable. Okay. Um, I mean, I don't, I don't know. Like again, I could, I can go on for miles and miles and miles, and we could, we could be here for another three hours before I'd be done talking about D and D. But I mean, it's like it starts it starts with just like an idea oftentimes it's challenging myself the number of the number of like worlds and stories that i've written to challenge my own way of writing um to challenge like preconceived notions that like i've had you know um when i, I remember pretty early on after i when i first sort of decided to be a dm i started playing with okay i want to write like my world because the person who had introduced me to D, to dnd had done that, had created this large sort of expansive setting that they played multiple games in that were just always kind of set in this world that had a nation here, a thing there. And, and they would have like, you you would run into historical evidence of previous characters' actions. And it was really cool. So I started doing that. I was like, okay, so, and it took me many years and rewrites and edits and blah, blah, blah. But then of course, once you do that, suddenly you've set, I've, I've got my own archetype. I've created for myself what is, okay, what is my our, you know, D and D RPG type, you know, and then I would take and challenge myself and it's okay. I want to, I want to write against type, you know, I want to do my, now, now I've, I've created this baseline for myself. Okay. What do I want to do? Like, what do I want to do? That's completely not that. And so I've done things, you know, I wrote a setting where I found that I was constantly answering the question as to why things were like you said with the encyclopedia where you, you ask, okay, why is this happening? And I go, 10 pages, you know, 10 chapters back in the encyclopedia. And I'm like, well, this is happening because this, you know, butterfly sat on a log and a frog ate that butterfly. And that frog got eaten by this king guy who then like got poisoned and, you know, it becomes this whole rabbit hole. And just to clarify, I don't think that's bad in any way because it might sound like I was cheating on it or, or something, <laughs> but like, no, because I think it's really cool in the sense of like, you're kind of like doing something that if the show gets a following, and you release like these books or these explanations for everything, people get into it. And then, for example, if they, if, they're get, if they get into it or something, then they have kind of like the thing of Game of Thrones, you know, of like, for example, Dragonstone is for this or this and that. And you and people can start creating their theories because there's like an, an, an actual established world where, where if they start investigating or getting into it or like getting more knowledge of the world, and just the thing that has been showcased in the series, people get more in, uh, like more mm. thrill about it because they also become part of the experience. So mm. that that's why I think it's, it's really cool the way that you craft the stories because you're not only pitching me a story, you're pitching me a whole world. So it, it gives like a lot of like space to create more stories within that world. In the know? world, yeah. But 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 it's just like that, you know. Like the, yeah. the thing is, sometimes whenever you pitch towards uh, me or or Arthur or something, it's like. 
yeah, but this is going to this this and it's like okay, but we don't know what is happening. Like we right, don't have we like, the like right now, yeah. We don't have the website or we don't have like the encyclopedia for to to be like, oh yeah, sure, that happened because of that, you know, like. Mm-hmm. So at the beginning, we're kind of like Deftone of like, okay. Right. so this is happening yeah right yeah of course and and that's it is a lot of my projects have been to counter some of those instincts like I, I was sort of mentioning there's a whole setting i tried to write where i specifically was like i refuse to answer the question of why this is like super nonsense and so sorry i totally interrupted you arthur oh no so my my, my re- completely unprofessional but my reaction here wasn't to you interrupting me was the pop i just got yeah. ps5 pre-orders are back oh there you go there you go i was like oh it's- okay uh, anyway, no. But, uh, I don't remember. I don't remember what I was gonna say. You, can go ahead. you don't have to say something if you were just like Rate no, a, a, a professional. I, I was going to say something, but then I saw like the the PS5 thing, and it completely ran out of my mind. Yeah. Uh, no. Fuck it. I know. I forgot what I was gonna say. Don't worry. I also have another new. Jared Leto is coming for the reshoot of uh, the the Snyder Cut. Stafford, do you want to share like an off-topic news so that everybody has news? Like... Oh man. It'll be done by the time this episode, or actually, will it be done when this episode comes out? Actually, this episode it won't be done a... when this episode comes out. This, this episode, episode comes, comes out, out on a very special day. On your birthday. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Happy birthday to you. Thank you. Um, the Real Causes Conviction event is happening. You should go check it out. Check it out, folks. Real Causes, R E E L, Causes. I work with them, they're a nonprofit here in Canada. They do cool stuff. You can watch a good on. film and listen to um, a bunch of people talk about the film who were involved in its making. Cool. Yeah. No, so, yeah, I, 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 just, just let it ride. Just let it ride. Just, 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 just yeah, ride. Yeah. Just ride. So we're just going and then to fade out. Yeah, yeah, just black. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> fade black. Yeah. We're not going okay. to even like say goodbye <laughs> to the audience or no, something. Nope. No, this is all we're doing. This is all we're doing. All right. Yeah. <laughs> Tabletop. 